Hello, Pyromaniac fans! I am The Heartbeat, and this is episode number nine of the Pyro Pulse podcast. And we got a special one for you today. On today's episode, we are interviewing Mike Clay of ESPN. Before we get to that, I want to urge everyone to go back and check out episode number eight, where I had a great interview with uh, George Kritikos. On Twitter, he's at Rotohack of PFF. I strongly urge you to go back and give that a listen. That's, that was just a great overall episode, in my opinion. I really enjoyed having George on. Hopefully, we will get him on again shortly. So today, with Mike Clay, we're going over just a, a grand scheme. I kind of went over everything under the sun that I could think of with Mike Clay. But before we get to that, I want to get to a subject that I've been pointing to and teasing a little bit. I haven't gone in and done all the analysis yet, but I do have the raw data, and this is the true bust rate. First, I want to open by kind of giving you the methodology of this true bust rate. So basically what I did is I went into Pro Football Reference, and I uploaded every quarter of data that we had in the 2016 season. So rather than looking at players on a gamely basis, I'm looking at co- players on a quarterly basis. And one thing that this took into impact was when a player was out, they did not record a stat. They did not get a count for that quarter that they were out. So an example of this, Le'Veon Bell last year was suspended for the first three games. That means Le'Veon has a total of 52 potential quarters played, rather than 64 like the rest of the NFL. So what we're doing is we're looking at those 52 instances, and what I did is I took the expected points where you get at drafting somebody. So Le'Veon in most leagues last year was drafted in the first round. So how many points do you expect from a first-round running back? And I did this based on the last six years of data. So you take those season totals and you divide it by 16. That gets you the per game average that you're expecting. And then you divide that again by four. That gives you the quarterly average. And the reason I did this is I remember a Michael Jordan quote where he said he doesn't think about the end of the game. He just wants to win the game. So that's the main goal. But for his, for his side, in his head, his goal every single quarter was to go out and score eight points. So you can see in the game, yeah, that's 32 points. He's setting a 32-point baseline. So I use the same methodology as Michael Jordan. Don't, don't even start with me comparing myself to Michael Jordan. Please don't. But so we're looking at those quarters. How many times did a quarter overperform? And there are two ways to look at this. You can look at the overall sum. How did they do against that benchmark? Or you can look at how many times did they hit that mark. So that's, the second option is more of a, a binary hit-miss. The first option is how much did they overperform or underperform their expected rate. I'm keying in on the first three rounds for this. And the first thing I want to highlight is quarterbacks taken in the first round. Based on my data, the expected number of points per quarter from a quarterback that was drafted in the first round of your fantasy draft is slightly over six points. It's 6.07. But the average of what those players 
actually scored was a full point lower. So those those quarterbacks are scoring about five points on average, and this is over three years of data. So you can say right away that quarterbacks in the first round do not provide value. If you look in a little bit deeper, if you look at the rate that they hit that mark, these first-round quarterbacks are only hitting that six-point mark in a quarter 34% of the time, and it's a little bit lower. It's 33.9. So that's really quite bad. And then if you look at their overall point compared to the expectation, they're 102.9% below. So they're at a negative 100%. And just to give you a quick overview of a bigger picture, quarterbacks are the only position to have negative values there. So it is tried and true that picking a quarterback in the first three rounds is a pretty bad idea overall. Yeah, you might have your outliers, but typically they disappoint. So blanket statement, don't draft a quarterback in the first three rounds. Now, what I think is really interesting is if we flip over to the other side of the spectrum. So who is providing this value at the most consistent rate? And three out of the top four were tight ends. So tight ends in rounds one, two, and three. And the position that snuck in there is running backs in the third round. So tight ends in the third round are overperforming their quarterly basis at almost a 60% rate. In the first round, it's still pretty high at 54%. And a tight end in the second round is at 47%. So I was very, very surprised to see that your safest pick in the first three rounds is a tight end. Now, although that is very interesting statistically, there there really isn't that big of a sample size for this. I mean, if you look at this year, the first three round tight ends are really, you're looking at Gronk, who's going in the second, Kelsey's going in the third, and that's really it. So... You can't, this, isn't, this is not a rule. I just thought it was really interesting. But so let's, let's dive in on strictly running backs and wide receivers because they're going to have an actual sample size that you can count on. And interestingly, although you might not think it, running backs in round one, two, and three overperform at a higher rate than all of their counterparts at wide receiver. So let's, let's look at them individually. Running backs one, running backs in the first round, perform at a 47.5 rate over their expected value. Wide receivers, on the other hand, were the lowest in this group at 44%. In the second round, running backs are also pretty high at 47.4%, whereas wide receivers are 46.4%. And running backs, running backs in the third round were the highest rate at 50 and wide receivers were 46.4. So all in all, in those first three rounds, it's still safer to pick a running back than a wide receiver. And this is because typically when a running back is out, they'll be out for a game. So when that player is out, let's, let's call it David Johnson. If David Johnson is out for week one, and I know this is a bad example and Everyone's crossing their fingers, hoping that nothing happens to David Johnson. So if anything happens to David Johnson, I am sorry. But if we know David Johnson is out for week one with an undisclosed family emergency, 
we expect zero points from him. So he's not missing that mark. Whereas wide receivers, they tend to play more, they tend to get hurt less, but they also miss their mark less. So that's something interesting. And now we can look at it from another perspective. And this is how did they perform against their expected points value. So not much has changed. Running back in the second round gives you the highest value. A running back in the first round gives you the second highest value. And then the wide receivers in the first two rounds are stuck in the middle with running back in the third round beating out wide receiver in the third round by a large margin. Running backs in the second round, as I said, were the highest value over expectation. Sorry, poof. At 109.6, so 110%. So basically, a second round running back is outperforming their value. A first round running back is at 108, so they are also outperforming their value. A wide receiver in the second round had a 5% chance, so 105% at returning a the higher value. Wide receivers in the first round were the lowest one of these at 104%. And running backs in the third round were just above 100 at 102%. So basically, running back in the second round is ideal. Running back in the first round is still a pretty good value. Then you can get into wide receivers. Wide receivers as a blanket statement, are less valuable in those two rounds. But then once you get to the third round, and this is kind of shocking, this drop, the percentage of value versus expected drops to 81%. So if you're expecting, let's say, three points per quarter, so 12 points a game for a third round wide receiver, who's likely either your wide receiver one or your wide receiver two, unless you really sold out and went three wide receivers in the first three rounds. They're not hitting that mark at a 46% rate. And overall, they're only returning four fifths of their value. So I'm not going to say don't draft a wide receiver in the third round, because there are outliers. But if you're kind of shit out of luck at the position, you got you got sniped a couple times and your guys aren't there, the safer play is to just go with a running back. Now, I'll go into this. I'll do my full analysis and I'll have a write-up on this that'll be on pyromaniac.com. We'll have a, a Pyropulse episode about this. But I, I thought this was just something really interesting as we're going into our draft primer. So after this episode, our next five episodes will be mini-sodes of a draft primer, similar to the one that you guys heard recently. And they'll just be quick tidbits, little tips and tricks to take into your draft. And then the fifth one will be an analyzing your draft, which is likely to come out not the next Monday, but the following Monday. So it could be after your draft. If you haven't drafted yet, just hold on to that episode for a little bit. Now, finally, what you've all been waiting for, let's get to Mike Clay. And you should know this already, but it's about to get lit. Yeah, boy, you're getting that team pain and they okay. Gooch. All of y'all trying to do our shit, you just sounded like karaoke. Nah, I ain't mad, I ain't mad. Long as y'all getting lit. Yeah. Yellow Claw getting lit. Huh. Long as y'all getting lit. I ain't in this bitch and yeah, it's lit. Hella lit. Hella rolly on my wrist. Same color my yellow bitch. 
Excited to welcome Mike Clay onto the podcast. How are you doing, Mike Clay? I'm doing pretty good. A little busy about that time of the year here. We're in August, so about a month away from uh, from kickoff of week one. So it's starting to ramp up. Yeah, and I believe you guys have your ESPN. Is uh, ESPN is the company you're with, and you guys have your ESPN Fantasy Football Marathon coming up on Monday, I believe, right? Yeah, that's right. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I, I didn't do too much last year. I was a rookie still at that mm-hmm. point, so not too involved. Uh, but just going to do a little bit more. Going to do some mock drafting, uh, some some feature stuff like that. So it's going to be fun. Yeah, and I checked that out last year. It's definitely something you want to catch because ESPN is very much so one of the best in the business. And uh, so, Mike, what are you currently doing at ESPN? Uh, uh, yeah, lots right now. A lot, a lot of writing. Uh, working on my ultimate draft board piece where I go kind of round by round. I'm doing that actually right now between our between in our uh, recording here so we'll be back at that later should be up next week just wrote some touchdown articles touchdown regression to the mean pieces doing a lot of sports center uh in the morning the fantasy focus podcast so what's going on these days yeah and i've been checking out your fantasy focus podcast and you guys do a great job over there as usual um so mike clay does the espn projections so uh what are some of the what is the way you go about making these projections mike yeah, how long do you have? That's a that's a that's a it's a long process. Uh, I built this system a long time ago. It's it's pretty much all built through through Excel. A lot of a lot of sheets and data working together. Uh, but you know, it really comes down to just just tweaking it every off season. I, I'm looking at league trends, team trends, coaching and coordinator trends, player trends. You name it, uh, it all adds up. Uh, weather trends. I mean, you, the list can go on and on and on. Lots of variables. The schedule obviously is important. And uh, it's just a just a, a long, lengthy process, and, and all the variables come together. So that's probably the, in a nutshell. But yeah, we could we could do a whole couple, of, probably a whole series of episodes on the process. Yeah, I'm sure you could talk about it for hours on end. Um, so you have been very prevalent in the fantasy community. I'm looking at uh, I looked at your LinkedIn the other day, and so uh, some of the places where people can find you are on ESPN. You're on the Next Level Fantasy Focus Football on Sirius XM. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? What you guys do on Sirius XM? Yeah, I have a show on there uh, a couple times a week. I do. I'm doing a Friday nights 10 p.m. to midnight Eastern uh, right now at least it, until the season starts doing Sunday evenings as well. Just had, uh, was actually shared the booth with Tory Holt last Sunday. We had some fun there. So, uh, yeah, just something, something to do on the side, keep busy and, uh, you know, any, any excuse to talk football. Yeah, absolutely. And that's awesome. And I know I've reached out to you a couple of times on Twitter being like, Hey Mike, where, where can I get this? Is it only serious XM? Because I mean, in my opinion, you are, if not, the one of the best in the fantasy industry. So I just love all the work you put out, and it's an honor that you appreciate you coming on to the show. Um, so one really interesting thing I saw in your uh, your resume 
is you played a role in the uh, virtual analyst for EA Madden 25. And so I'm guessing you worked on some of the player ratings there. Could you take me through that process? No, actually, I didn't. I was I was uh, just a just a uh, person, or what do you want to call it? Uh, they use my likeness in a fake Twitter feed and it, within the game. So if you went into the into the you know dynasty mode or whatever every week, we would you know myself, I think Stefania, Adam Schefter, there, there was quite a few people uh, in there, and it just kind of did funny, silly tweets that were like, kind of evergreen, had to do with the week. So. Uh, yeah, it was it was fun to do that for a couple of years, and you know I grew up playing Madden. I still mm-hmm. get it every year, just on you know just because it's tradition. Played a little bit, um, but yeah, so it was, that was pretty cool. Yeah, and Madden is really that's that's almost where I think uh, fantasy football has been derived, just because there are so many options and what you can do with those the franchise modes and how you can acquire players. And fantasy football are we're starting to have aspects of fantasy football relate back to that so it's kind of becoming fantasy football you're kind of owning a uh, madden franchise in some some ways but so that's really cool i wanted to ask you if you did do the player rankings how you think those correlate to actual fantasy outputs but we'll we'll throw that for now um so i want to talk about some other things that you did so were you you were in the creation process of a dot so could you talk about how you came to that and why you think that's an important stat yeah, that was uh, something back when I was at Pro Football Focus. That's where I was for years. Started their fantasy section a long time ago. Um, but that was one of the unique pieces of information they had. Actually, one of the first things I was lucky enough to introduce to the fantasy community was snaps and, and pass routes. I mean, that kind of came first because that's something they had that was very unique. So I remember posting that stuff every week. And, um, you know, it was fun to get that. And, and now it's so mainstream uh, in the industry. It was really cool to see how that's transitioned over the past, you know, what, five, seven years. It's pretty new. Uh, but from there, I mean, another another category they had was depth. And, and it was just a new column. They added something. They charted how far downfield the throw was going. And again, you know, you know, from there, I mean, it's simple. You just start looking at uh, how players are used. And it's a much better indicator than something like yards per reception because you get a bigger sample. You know, I on average, about 60% of balls are caught, so you get an extra 40% there that you can you can analyze and see where players are being targeted, depth downfield, underneath, and now you see it all over the place. Some people call it air yards. Uh, originally, it was average depth of target, but you see it quite often now across the industry. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool, very valuable, and helps us make better predictions. Yeah, it's significantly helped us with predictions in terms of the receiving yards because you can we can now look at yards after the catch in response to the a dot so you're getting those two sections so you really get a better idea of where specific players are thriving like golden tate would be a, a low a dot with a lot of yards after the catch so you can see opportunity there and i think those guys with large after the catch or after contact stats those are the guys that could really bust out and give you great fantasy seasons um, so, you since you are the projections guy at ESPN, you've you got a lot of backlash on Twitter, especially dealing with your uh, your Chargers outlooks. So, could you talk about some of the uh, some of the Twitter Twitter interactions that you've had this season? Man, I, I can't. I could. I have teams that I have in the playoffs. You know, like I have. The, I think it was the Panthers. The one day I have them. I've taken a wild card, bouncing back, and somebody still thought I was too low and insulting them. I mean, you can't win. Everybody. Everybody thinks their team's going at eleven and five. You know, with maybe the exception of Jets fans and Browns fans. I guess that's about it. So yeah, there's there's really no winning with that process. But all I can do is uh, my work. Put the put my projections out there and and see how they pan out. I 
last year was the first time I did that. Uh, I, I thought it was very successful. You know, the, the accuracy with, with a couple exceptions. Listen, I'm fully aware this stuff's not going to be perfect. This is how I think it's going to play out. But obviously, I'm not insane enough to think everything's going to be perfect. If that were the case, I would be putting all my entire bank account uh, in, in, you know, in some bets in Vegas. I, I'm obviously not doing that. So I'm confident in the system. I, I hope they're all right. Maybe we can nail this process in the upcoming years. But, uh, yeah, the Chargers, listen, it's very simple. You look at the roster that they have compiled. You forget about injuries from last year. They don't matter anymore. What matters is the current health of that team, and they're loaded. I mean, they have one of the better pass rushes in the league with Bosa and Ingram. They have one of the better cornerback duos with Verrett and Hayward. Brandon Meebane up the middle. They just re-signed Jaleel Adai at safety. They have a pair of intriguing 23-year-old every-down linebackers in Perryman and Brown, and then that, and that's just the defense. I mean, offensively, you have Phil Rivers, who's terrific. Gordon in the backfield, Keenan Allen's back, Tyrell Williams, Mike Williams. As we're recording this podcast on Wednesday afternoon. He's he's running now. Maybe he makes an impact this year. A couple good tight ends, improved O line, even with the Forest Lamp injury. So I mean, you add all that up, you compare it to the other 31 teams. That's what you have to do. You can't mm-hmm. just look at one team, or you're going to have 27 teams with a winning record. You have to compare. All 32 teams, you do that, I think you're going to have a hard time putting the Chargers in your top. Yeah, and one of the best things that I've seen come from you is your expected win total. So could you briefly talk about how you think the this, or how you see this expected win total impacting fantasy values? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of, it's just based on the score. So, you know, we're, a lot of us are aware of, you know, the Pythagorean uh, theorem or projected win total, you know, it's based basically it, how it's applied in the NFL without getting too into it is that you look at points scored, points against, and you could come up with how that how that transitions to a win total. So uh, that's pretty much what I'm doing here. I'm using that formula. I'm reversing it, taking the the points on a week to week basis for and against. That's what I project at first. I'm doing all the players, and then I'm adding up the points from field goals and return touchdowns and offensive. All that adds up. And that's we get a score, and from there you can say, okay, well, if the team's projected to win by say seven points, they have say, for example, a sixty-five percent chance to win that game. You add it all up, and you get you get records for all thirty-two teams. Yeah, exactly. And this, these are great resources to use because you can extrapolate out those uh, those expected wins, and you can see like one of the examples of the extreme was the Cowboys last year and having the thirteen and three season. That really allowed Ezekiel Elliott and Dak Prescott to have that efficiency and that production on the ground and in the air. So that's something that the expected win total can really lead you towards and can really cause a breakout season for some people if they do outperform outperform those expected totals. Yeah, yeah, I I would certainly agree with that. And and the Cowboys, I think, uh, you know, another thing you could do here is look at strength of schedule based on this. And Mm -hmm. the Cowboys come in with the hardest schedule in the NFL this season by my – by my metrics, my uh, my subjective and uh, quantitative analysis here. So I actually have the Cowboys battling it out for a wild card with teams like Carolina and Arizona, and actually the Eagles winning that division. Easiest schedule in the division, and I think they're actually a, a very underrated team, a lot of talent on paper. And you are a Philadelphia guy, so you like that analysis anyways, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, I don't pick them every year. I certainly did not last year. So I would, you know, whenever I post that, anybody who knows where I'm from posts that, you know, you know, bias prediction, whatever. But, you know, actually early on in the offseason, my initial run, I actually had them at the bottom. You know, it, there's a lot that goes on during the offseason, the draft, free agency. And then you sit there and you go team by team and evaluate each unit from the interior defensive line to the secondary, to the receivers, all the way to the quarterback. 
Uh, and if you do it that way, again, just like the Chargers, the Eagles are a team uh, I think you're going to like a lot too. Mm-hmm. And they've made some great improvements in the offseason, adding guys like Alshon Jeffrey and Torrey Smith to that offense to give uh, – What's his name? Carson Wentz, a little, some more options where he kind of struggled after that fifth game last year. Um, so taking a step back to the Cowboys, what is your outlook on specifically Dak Prescott this year? Because he's somebody I am significantly lower than the market on, and I can't seem to wrap my head around why people like him so much. Well, I mean, he was pretty good last year. I think that's the starting point. I think he was, like, QB7 last year as a rookie, mm-hmm. and that was in an offense that did not, that did not have to throw the ball, the ball often. I remember tweeting something during the playoffs. You know, what was that game against Green Bay? I guess it was. He was down by like three touchdowns, mm-hmm. and they came storming back. And I tweet, you know, before that, I tweeted, you know, we're going to get a good idea of what, you know, if he can do it. What, what does he have in him? How good is he at carrying this offense from behind him? Because all year, they were just ahead all the time, and all he had to do was hand it off and manage the offense. Well, uh, I think we saw some great things from him in that game. Uh, you know, he is a, 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 a the O-line still pretty good even though they lost two guys uh Doug Free and Ronald Leary uh he has Des Bryant he has Zeke Witten's still there you know Terrence Williams is a fine uh downfield target Cole Beasley he has enough there uh to produce a big fantasy season so I don't think the offense is the problem he has the weapons mm-hmm. and, I, and but again I, I think the defense did get worse they have a tough schedule he's going to have to throw from behind more often this year and that volume should allow him not to mention his legs we know a lot of points with spike scrambling yeah, that all up. I think it's it's another strong season yeah. for him. So then, yeah, I think I actually I think I have him at QB seven. I think I have him right where he finished last oh, year. Wow. Coincidentally. Yeah, and as a Ezekiel Elliott owner last year, there's nothing more difficult than watching Dak running those like what was it five touchdowns on the ground. There's nothing. Well, worse I think than that. you'd be hard pressed to complain if you're a Zeke owner, but yeah. Um. Yeah. So what? Um. In this upcoming season, what is your current uh, fantasy exposure? So what are you doing in League types like the MFL 10s, I believe you're in the Scott Fishbowl, and what a, what outputs do you see for fantasy this year, or for you personally? Oh, yeah. Always too many leagues, for sure. <laughs> uh, every year I cut cut down a few and, and add a few. Um, yeah, I'm in, I'm in some family and friends leagues that have been around forever. I love Dynasty Leagues. I'm in a few with, uh, you know, Ryan McDowell. He mm-hmm. has a great one that I'm in. Uh, Pat uh, over at Roto Pat, of course, at Roto World, he set up a, a great one we've been doing for years. One of them, probably the most competitive league I've ever been in. Tons of trades. It's just a really fun league. Um, so a couple a couple dynasties, a couple season long. Of course, we'll do them with the staff. Uh, did some MFL 10. So, yeah, a lot, a lot of, way, way too many leagues for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it seems like that's the problem for everyone. Um, yeah. So in dealing with those different types of leagues, how do you value players in regards to the league? So, like, how do you value a player in best ball differently than redraft? Well, I, I, it doesn't change a lot. I mean, uh, I, you know, I, you hear that a lot. You know, this guy's more valuable in, in best ball. And, and in some cases, they are. Um, you know, I, I, I understand that logic, I suppose. You know, guy, high, higher variance players, guys that you don't necessarily have to decide if you want to start them each and every week. Uh, obviously, handcuffs, you know, um, Really, it comes down to roster construction. I mean, at, at my fantasy league, you have 20 spots, and you're, you know, the right strategy is to have X number at each position, including, you know, three defenses, for example. Um, so, there's again, that's a that's an entire episode. I think I, I'm trying to trying to see, you know, cut it down as best I can. But yeah, there's a lot of different ways you could tweak tweak, uh, tweak your strategy. But at the same time, you want to build a high floor and high ceiling team mm-hmm. the best you can. You want to get the best guys when you're on the board. So uh, that my process isn't terribly different from a season long league. 
Yeah, and I think that's great because so many times out there you hear like, oh, this is a best ball guy. This is a redraft guy. This guy you only want in Dynasty. But when it comes down to it, that player is going to have the output that they do, and you're getting them at that, at like that specific value. It's not really right. going to differ that much whether it's best ball. If you're getting a 25-point game or a 20-point game, that is going to be the output. It's just – it's more so on your roster management. It's like I see it as best ball, the people that like guys specifically in best ball – they just don't feel as comfortable on their ability to see their weekly variants. Yeah, yeah, absolutely correct. Uh, you know, it's it's um, it's funny you say that though. I I think that sometimes when people say, "No, he's a fantasy guy, not an NFL guy," you know, it's like, "Yeah, we're we're all NFL analysts. Uh, we're just doing a little extra work with the fantasy stuff too." You know, that's I'd argue that that fantasy's harder. I do both, and and to me, you know, fantasy is just a whole other level you add on to the NFL analysis. So. Uh, but yeah, same thing with DFS too. Oh, he's a DFS guy. He's a mm-hmm. redraft guy, whatever it is. Um, you know, we're all, we're all evaluating the same players and, and, and trying to place the best guys out there. Every week. Yeah. And I mean, the underlying, underlying example is it's all about opportunity costs and it's all about, uh, seeing these guys as commodities and the type of value you can get in return on that qual on that commodity is going to be is going to really show how good your NFL or your, oh Jesus Christ, fantasy season is going to go. <sighs> um, so could you go over some of your uh, value picks this year, maybe like one or two at each position? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, Andy Dalton, a quarterback, I think is the guy I'm looking at in uh, the double digit rounds. I think he's a, a nice target for sure. I've been finding Kirk Cousins uh, on my teams quite a bit too. Honestly, at the the point where if I'm if I'm in an industry league, I usually take a quarterback or somewhat early relative to those guys because we're all like fade the quarterbacks, mm-hmm. take a guy late. But you know, at the point at, if you get Drew Brees in the sixth round or something, I'll, I'll do that every time. You know, the guy's just so good and reliable. I'm uh, I'm fine with that. Um, you know, running back, I, you know, I love the late round dart throws for sure. Uh, Bilal Powell's a guy I've been getting. And when I say late round dart throws, I mean like handcuffs if if I want one of them high ceiling guys to throw on the end of my bench, but. Blah Powell is a guy I've been getting quite a bit. I think he'll be busy in the uh, in the Jets' offense. I know it's going to be a bad offense, but certainly uh, he's going to be on the field. Terrence West, Frank Gore, you know, those guys are, are going to be volume guys for sure. Um, let's see, what do we got? Wide receiver. Hmm. Uh, I, I think the guy. I mean, listen, he's. I don't think he's a sleeper or anything like that. But Kelvin Benjamin's probably a little undervalued. He is the number one schedule, the easiest schedule for a number one wide receiver. In uh, my estimation this year, I have some receiver cornerback content coming out next week that breaks that down, but he is a nice schedule. I love targeting Josh Docks, and, you know, just the chance that he's a superstar is real and possible. Uh, I know he has some competition there in Washington, but it's a high-scoring offense as well. And then the guy I'm targeting at tight end is, is well, I, listen, the, the, again, we're talking like late-round guys here for the most part. The, the sleeper I like at tight end is Austin Hooper for sure in Atlanta. That, tight end units were 10 touchdowns last year. He should be the every down guy. Jacob Tammy's gone high scoring. O, uh, so I look like Cooper, but, uh, you know, usually that's the late round guy. Cause Kyle Rudolph is the guy I want as my starter. The guy's number two score in PPR last year. He's, he has a high floor. I like him a lot. Yeah. I just did my, uh, tight end tiers and I went over Hooper. Hooper really seems like a guy that could potentially be one of those players that, you know, pulls the chair out from beneath the season as he, what I did is he he ended the season so strongly. He had a PFF grade of just under 80 over his last four games into the into the postseason. And we usually typically look at guys that play well in the postseason a little bit higher. But then we do also have multiple accounts of where those guys that 
play really well late in the season. They just don't turn it around the next year. And Hooper was the only rookie uh, pass catcher to ever score a touchdown against Bill Belichick, and he did that in the in the Super Bowl. So I think there are a lot of storylines that are going to build up Hooper's value, and he could become a little too expensive for my taste. Yeah, we'll see. Round round twelve right now in NFL tens. It's higher than I hope, but you know that's not too bad. I actually have him scoring only seven fewer fantasy points in PPR than Hunter Henry this year, and he's costing me an eighth rounder. So something to think about. Yeah, I mean, as as long as Gates there, I should. What is he a, a tight end one for the last twenty five years? It's mm-hmm. been since like two thousand four. The guy's a, just a monster. Right. Um, so. That's basically going to wrap up our fantasy analysis with Mike. I know Mike's on a very busy schedule. Um, I just wanted to bring one quick thing up. Is I actually reached out to Mike last year on Twitter through a different, a different Twitter account, being like, hey, Mike, uh, you're from Philadelphia. Uh, where are some of the cheesesteak cheese places I should go? And you were nice enough to uh, point me in the direction of somebody who had that information. And then uh, later in the season, I actually – so you now live in Connecticut, which is is the town over from where I went to college at Quinnipiac. Have you had any uh, unfortunate run-ins with some of those Quinnipiac kids? I have not, but uh, yeah, I, I'm not as experienced as I should be with the cheesesteaks, first of all, in Philadelphia. I've had a few. I enjoy them. I think I probably mentioned Steve's or something like that, but yeah, my friend Dave knows him, knows him well, so hopefully he had a good experience there, but yeah, no uh, no run-ins with, with uh, your, your, your folks up here, but... Uh, I've certainly gotten some pizza. I've gone to New Haven, had some pizza up here, uh, and it's pretty good. So, um, yeah, I, I'm all about the food. Any chance to eat food is, is good with me. Oh, yeah, and Pepe's in New Haven is one of the best in the country, hands down. Yeah, terrific. Absolutely, yep. All right, Mike, it was an honor having you on. Thank you very much for taking the time out. I really appreciate it. And uh, good luck this upcoming season. Good luck Monday, trying to stay awake for the whole day. And I'm uh, really yeah. thankful <laughs> for, you, for you coming on. All right, sounds great. Anytime. All right, that'll do it for our interview with Mike Clay. So let's look at what we have on the agenda coming up. It is definitely getting close to draft season. I know I have a dynasty draft that is starting up tomorrow. I'm sure everybody else has drafts either. If it's not this upcoming week, it's next week. So let's look at our draft primer series that we have coming up. These are all going to be short mini episodes, about 20 minutes long. First, on Monday, we'll be going over how to understand changes in opportunity. After that, we'll go over how to analyze preseason action. The following episode will be choosing your draft strategy. Another one is winning the draft. And finally... We'll go into how to analyze your draft and what roster moves to make before week one. So that is one, two, three, four, five episodes that should all be coming out next week. I hope to see you guys soon.